Uh, Bob, yeah, uh, he is. He's he's got uh, that. He's got the head for the the uh, shine. Uh, my head goes to a point, so that's why God covered it up. So, but uh, no, Bob, um, his uh, daughter-in-law had a uh, serious accident on her way to Indianapolis this morning, and then uh, she they took her on down to uh, Methodist and potentially be having surgery for his uh, daughter-in-law Lena. And uh, so we need to be praying for them. He called me about 10:30. Um, I guess I was the fourth string on the list because he called Paul Martin first, and uh, Paul was already in Indianapolis. Then he called Jim and couldn't uh, get a hold of him. Jim was tied up. So fourth string, and I'll do the best I can. Uh, but uh, uh, why don't we uh, pray for Bob? I want everybody to stand up if you would and, uh, and grab hands with the person next to you, and uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we know that you are the one who knows every detail of every day in, in the life of your uh, children, your creation. And Lord, we ask that you would be with uh, Lena, especially right now, and their family. Uh, Lord, I don't know where they are in terms of their uh, understanding of who you are and what you are doing in the world, but Lord, I just ask that this would be an opportunity for them to, to even trust you in a greater way. I ask, Lord, that you would use the time that we spend here together in the next 15 minutes and then... Uh, to our time together of uh, talking about the things of God. And I just ask that you would use uh, your word uh, to accomplish its work in us. I thank you for each man who you've brought here today. And I just pray that they might sense and know the welcome of God into, uh, from, these, uh, from one another. And I pray that they join us again, that we might ever, ever grow together. And uh, all God's children said, Amen. Right, you may be seated. If you have a Bible or you have the uh, worksheet, you can look there on John chapter 2, um, and that's where we'll be going in just a minute. When was the last time that you um, lost your temper and visibly showed it? Let me ask you a question about that. How righteous was your anger? Righteous was your anger. Now, I mean, is anger wrong in and of itself? No. There is a kind of anger that is righteous anger. And I think we like to, you know, uh, when our kids do the wrong thing, right? And we correct them. Isn't that righteous anger? Well, it can be. You're, you're upset or you're angry about the right thing and you direct your energy. You see, anger... In the Bible, it, God used to accomplish right purposes. Does God get angry? Yeah. It says God is angry at the sins of mankind all the day. God's always angry about sin. His vi violation of going His way. Was God angry enough at Adam and Eve to throw them out of the garden? Yeah. Because they disregarded God's commands. You see, there is an opportunity for righteous anger. So I go back to the question, how righteous was your anger? I know we like to say, you know what, it really was. If I think about it now and put a percentage on it, I'm saying I was in the 80 percentile, man. I was 80 percent righteous anger. But what about that other 20 percent? Because many times what happens is we, we mix our own stuff in the midst of it. It's not pure righteous anger because we mix our stuff. We know what? We, how, how dare they challenge my authority? What do you mean they're going to disregard what I had to say? 
And so we begin to get into an attitude of justifying our anger. I'll never forget one time I was uh, talking a number of years ago to a guy who was not doing some things right in the context of his family and uh, in way out of bounds. You all would say, man, I can't believe it. It was bad. You know, hitting all ten of the commandments, he got all, all ten of them. One fell swoop, man. He had the whole deal. And I was, I was angry. I think I was angry for righteously because, again, it was going to affect uh, two whole families. And the, and the, uh, the corresponding response of that, when, when we sin, it costs everybody. And I was mad. And I remember talking to him on the telephone. And the longer I talked, the madder I got. And somewhere along the line, I crossed the line. I went from righteous anger to just unrighteous anger. And I can remember standing in my office, holding my phone out here, screaming into the receiver. And the moment I slammed the phone down, which I did, because I was done with that conversation, I told him, the Holy Spirit of God descended upon me in such a way and said, you just blew it. You chose to take what I was angry about and get in your own flesh and get into that guy's face and his life and you chose to whack him with the Word of God instead of speak to him my Word and let God do the work. I was convicted. Now, you say, well, John, well, what you did was not near as bad as what that guy was doing. But you know what? That didn't matter to God. Because at that moment, that was my sin. The moment I crossed the line in my unrighteous anger, I crossed the line into a world that I shouldn't have. And I, as I try to do with sin in my own life, I left my office and I went to where this guy's office was, or job site actually. And I went out on the job site and I said, hey, what just happened was absolutely wrong. And I'm not here to talk to you about your stuff. I'm here to just talk to you about mine. The way I responded to you, the way I just treated you, was sinfully wrong. And I'm sorry, would you forgive me for treating you in such a way? Thankfully, that guy did ultimately get his life squared around back with God and his family. And the thing that he told me that struck me, and I didn't have the impact, he said, you know, John, the reason I knew that I could change is because I saw you take personal responsibility for your sin. And it made me know that I could take responsibility for mine. Now, when we come to the passage that we're going to look here today, Jesus is coming into a very religious situation. And really, what's happened in John chapter 2 is He's just done His first public miracle. Jesus was probably about 30 years old at this time. He's done his first public miracle, turning the water into wine at the wedding feast of Canaan. And the very next place he goes is to the synagogue. The synagogue was the Jewish temple, place of worship. And in this context, it was in, in, uh, in, in Jerusalem because it was on the Passover. And so we pick up in John chapter 13. Now what we're going to see here at the hands of Jesus is total, pure, righteous anger. Not with any of our human anger in it, but Jesus being ticked for the right reasons. I like to see Jesus being ticked for the right reasons, don't you? I've seen too many of those pictures where Jesus looks like a meek, mousy, little, wimpy guy. I don't think Jesus was a meek, mousy, wimpy guy. And Jesus is going to show it to us right here. 
read this, listen to this passage, just John, 3, John 2 and verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And he, came, and he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out all the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered what is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us your authority for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It took 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this and they believed the Scripture and the Word which Jesus had spoken. If you're first time here today, we've been talking about encountering Jesus. And the first week, Chuck McCoskey talked to us about Jesus on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. We began at the end. And then, then Jim Jacobs talked to us about Simeon trusting God. Simeon was the prophet or the priest who was waiting for Jesus. So we, went, we started at the ending, then we came back to Jesus as a baby. And then last week I had the opportunity to talk with you guys about Jesus as a 12-year-old boy who was so focused on his father's business that he told these religious leaders, hey, I'm here to do one thing, and that is to be about my father's business. Then this picture we get today is Jesus, then fast-forwarding to age 30. So again, he's matured, and he's begun his public ministry. And he begins with this event. It was really an event that had everything to do with all the things that you and I face today. Because what was it that caused Jesus to make that scourge of cords? Can you imagine him when he goes in and he sees this, and apparently the scourge of cords wasn't already made, and he sits down over off to the side and starts making this whip. Now, a scourge of cords was quite often usually nine brands of leather. So I don't know where he got the leather or whatever, and he pulled it together, and he makes this whip. It was usually about this long, and a good scourge would have bits of metal and, and things in it. And any of you that saw the passion of the Christ and saw the scene where Christ was beaten, that's the concept. Jesus makes this scourge of cords, and he starts doing what in high school we used to call kicking tail and taking names later. That's what Jesus did. He went in and said, boom, boom, tables overturned, takes those whip and slashes it against the back of those oxen. I would imagine a few guys who were there got caught the brunt of it as well. Why? Well, there was two things that he addressed from his own tongue. And there are two things I want us to just touch on as well, because you know what? In every one of our lives, what happened here is representative of what's going on in us. Because there's some tables that need to be turned in my life and in yours. Tables need to be turned in my life and in yours. The first thing is that Jesus went into this and He says, after turning these over, He says, takes these things away. What was happening was they were extorting people. In other words, people would come with their particular offering. They'd have two turtle doves or whatever else and they'd come or they'd have some money to exchange to buy an offering. So they were coming to worship. Their desire was to give an offering to have their sins forgiven. In that context, that was what Jesus had said. The Old Testament system was you sacrifice a lamb or a turtle dove or whatever you can 
to cover your sins. The blood of the animal covered your sins. Hence later when Jesus said, I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that's why the cross, His blood on the cross makes a difference. Because His once for all sacrifice took the place of you and I having to make a blood animal sacrifice year after year to have our sins forgiven. You see, payment has to be made for sin. Somebody's got to pay. The Scriptures gave us a way out. In the Old Testament, it was the sacrificial system. But in the New Testament, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, it made the way and paved it for all of us. That it, by faith and trust in Christ alone, and His blood sacrificed for my sin, I could walk in freedom. What these men were doing was extorting, using that system to their own financial gain. Have you guys ever seen religion being used in that way? Yeah, <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> today. You see, mankind has always used religion, which is man's trapping around God to extort God to accomplish something that man wants to do and use men and guilt them into those things that God was never about. God's about freeing us from religion and showing us how to have a genuine, vital, living relationship with a living God. It's what I touched on last week. I want to be spiritual, but not religious. I want to be spiritually minded, but not religious. And that's an important distinction. And Jesus here was attacking the trappings of religion because what He told them is this. Listen, this is not about your marketing, but it's about who's going to be the Master. It's the market versus the master. He said, the master of this house is God. And I'm here as his son, his representative. And I want you to know that this house should not be extorted using religious principles and symbols to your own advantage. It happens in every church in this county. It happens in every church around the world. It happens in every religious system. And Jesus said, I'm not for it. I'm not for extorting my business, which is to do the work of Him who sent me, for your business, which is shekels. <laughs> what they would do is they would charge those money changers and they'd, they'd, pay, uh, uh, they'd pay amount and then mark it up, 30, 40, 50%, and they'd take it off the top. Now the problem was there's nothing wrong with making a profit in business. Have I got a witness? Huh? You guys are all in business. Do you want to make a profit? Come on, do you? Yeah, you're going to spend the rest of the afternoon trying to make a profit. Here's the deal. But you're not going to go do it in the name of God for the forgiveness of people's sins, are you? You're not going to say, hey, come have your sins forgiven and we're going to take 20% off the top for you. No, that's not what... But in the name of God, this is what was occurring. And Jesus said, you guys have missed it completely. Don't... Do it. And that's why he was angry. Because you're hindering people from getting to God. You're hindering people from getting to the real dynamic of relationship with Him. The second thing they then, after Jesus did that, what did they ask? Who gave you the authority to do this? <laughs> Who gave you the right to come up here and mess up our temple system? Hey, it's been working well for us so far. And that's true in every religious system. Who gave you the right? 
And this is what Jesus said. Hey, it's not about your temple. It's about the real temple. Me, His body. And Jesus then later said, you who believe by faith in Jesus Christ get infused and become the very temple of God. Every man in here who knows Jesus Christ as his personal Savior by saying, Lord, I'm a sinner and I accept your payment, that blood sacrifice for my sin, and at some point in time in your life you've entered into a faith relationship with Him, not through the rites of religious tradition, but through a genuine heart relationship with the living God. That can be done in a field, that can be done in your backyard, it can be done in your bathroom, on the pot, it can be done anywhere. Because God's about making you known to Him. And it's not about tradition. But then he says, the real deal, the real deal with me is taking and pushing aside the tradition and the trappings and getting to the real temple. That was the issue, which they couldn't get. My friends, relationship and religion. You see, relationship is the heart that moves you to action. Religion is action that hopes that will get you to the heart. Religion says do something to please God. Relationship says, believe and God will do something. Relationship is Christ coming to you to seek and to save that which is lost. Religion is about you coming to Christ with some frail offering. Relationship is a, that supersedes the trappings, but religion is mired in the trappings. And then not only do we get mired in the trappings, but we put names on it, right? We put names on it like Baptist and Methodist and Catholic and Pentecostal and on and on and on. And then we start having fusses over it. You've got to be baptized a certain way to go to heaven. You have to take communion a certain way. And if you raise your hands, you're a fanatic. If you don't raise your hands, you're not spiritual. If you're Joel Osteen, you're too liberal. If you're T.D. Jakes, you're too spiritual. And we spend our time mired in a bunch of stuff that has happened for years and years and years. Let me go back with you 1730s. In 1734, here in a little parish in New England, a young man named Jonathan Edwards, and then later began to preach principles like this. There was a later a man named Jonathan, excuse me, George Whitfield, who was 26 years old. He was thrown out of all the churches in England, and he was also thrown out of all the churches in America. So he went to the field and to the courthouse steps. Benjamin Franklin writes in his autobiography of this, this young man, George Whitfield, who he stood at the back of the crowd and geometrically figured out how many people were standing there hearing this man, George Whitfield, preach a sermon. Benjamin Franklin, in his journal, estimated the crowd at 30,000, and Benjamin Franklin said, I could hear him with clarity at the back of the crowd. From the sermon that George Whitfield preached, where, that pe where people were listening in, and Benjamin Franklin recorded that, he said this, Father Abraham, whom have you in heaven? Any Episcopalians? No. Any Presbyterians? No. Any Independents or Seceders, New Sides or Old Sides? They had a bunch of names we never even heard of. Any Methodists? No, no, no. Whom have you there then, Father Abraham? We don't know those names here. All who are here are Christians, believers in Christ, men who have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of His testimony. Listen, Jesus is about one thing. Exalting God the Father and elevating 
His Word and His way in such a way, and God then saying to us, listen, if you don't lift up Jesus Christ my Son, you are missing the point. When I am lifted up, Jesus said, there will be, all men will be drawn to Me. The greatest freedom that you and I can give to one another is to exalt a person of Christ and to not be divided by our religious traditions. Because quite honestly, God doesn't care about our religious traditions. What He wants is heart-motivated service to Him that says Christ is all and in all and will only be all. And that's enough for me. Is it enough for you? So let me ask you this question. Guys, what in your life needs to have the tables turned? Are you a religionist? Are you more preoccupied with what you're doing for God than what God's done for you? Is your relationship with God all about you? Or is it about getting your eyes and your heart on what God has revealed to you in the personal Word of God for you and your life? You see, Jesus Christ desires a vital living relationship with you. It's not just huffing stuff. It's not whipped cream. It's not smoke and mirrors. It's real and it's vital and it is life-changing. For if you'd have known my life at 18 years old and you know my life now, you know God done something in that guy. And it's because of Jesus Christ. It's no forms or trappings of religion that have made me desire to change or want to change. It's not any of those things that gets me up in the morning to look into God's Word and find out for myself what God has to say to me today. What drives me is just one thing, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. That He is changing my life today. And I'm not what I once was, but thank God I'm not what I'm going to be. But today, by God's grace, He is changing my life. And He's overturning the tables in my life, so I am dissatisfied with my religious experience and yearn and hunger to be satisfied after a genuine experience with the living and real God. Quite honestly, guys, I don't care what your religious label is. What I care most about is that you genuinely know Christ for you. We can get all riled up into those things, or even particularly to get into things like, you know what, I'm a non-denominationalist. Well, who cares? Christ alone. Christ alone. I think as we go to our tables today, let's think about this, guys. What is it that i got to get overturned in my life? Is it some preoccupation with my own profit, whether financial and or my own advancement? Is it preoccupation with something that I must have if I can go forward from here? Is it some family problem that I will not resolve? Is it some other thing that God wants to come over and turn His hand underneath the tables of your life and flip them so that you'll realize that it doesn't matter? Only one thing matters. Christ alone. Father in Heaven, I thank You that You have given us Christ alone. May we cling to Him. May the conversations that we have around this table Exalt Christ alone. May we lay our lives up against that which is all wrong in us so that You can change us. Lord, we are not what we want to be. 
And Lord, there are things in our lives that You're using, the circumstances and pressures and powers and all kinds of things in our lives to change us. May we, re- we, may we respond to the discipline of Your hand in us. And Lord, may we encourage one another in these things that Christ alone might be lifted up. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.